You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. We were hoping for just a little more humidity this morning, but you'll have to take it as it is, I suppose. But thank you for choosing to be here this morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. I'm on a off one Sunday, on one Sunday rotation, and the other guys on our staff, David and Jeff and Ricky, are all preaching as well. And come Labor Day, I'll uh, be back in the saddle for a while, Lord willing. Well, as David has already been talking about, 2020 has been... An unbelievable year. I mean, you would have to go back to 2001 or the late 60s, early 70s to find anything comparable in our land. Uh, the events of, of the year 2020, though, may have far greater consequences than those years, which brought about cataclysmic change in our land. Uh, things that were never the same, quite the same after the 60s, early 70s. Never quite the same after 2001, but this year may bring about even more change. In fact, future historians may say that 2020 was a turning point in our history. This morning, in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27, we're going to look at a turning point in Jesus' ministry that changed everything. We know that everything changed when Jesus came to earth, our calendar revolves around his time, his time on the earth and, and his ministry, his work. Uh, but this was a turning point in his ministry. Up until this point, Jesus had spoken quite a bit about the kingdom, but not about his death, not to his disciples anyway. It, it's true that in John 3, which was likely fairly early in Jesus' ministry, uh, he spoke cryptically about his crucifixion with Nicodemus when he said in John 3, verses 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we know what Jesus was talking about, being lifted up on a cross, put to death so that others might live. But... This is the first time he plainly says, I'm going to die. There are three important questions that Luke 9 should lead us to ask. And since you're at church or watching online, I am certain you are interested at some level in these three questions. One, who is Jesus? Two, what are the consequences of belief or unbelief? Once you know who Jesus is, you've got to say, I believe that or I reject that. You don't have to believe, but you have to make a decision one way or the other. Three, what is expected of those who would follow Jesus? Three questions, and our text addresses all of them. Today's sermon is part of our summer series titled, Conform to the Image of God's Son, Jesus. That's what the Lord is doing for those who follow Jesus, he's making us more and more like Jesus. Although, as David was talking about during the prayer time, this year has been a challenge to us being conformed 
to the image of Jesus. It's, it, it's, it's been quite a, a temptation to move in the other direction, but it's not up to us anyway. God is the one doing the work. So the title of the series will give you a clue as to where this text is going to lead us. Luke 9, 18 to 27. In the, in the sanctuary, we almost always stand as we read the word, not so much out here, but I'm going to ask you if you would to please stand if you're able. You don't have to if you're situated in that chair and it's quite an effort for you, but if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he, Jesus, asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, so to this point Jesus is talking to the twelve. Now he turns and he talks to the crowds. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and then Mark 8 adds, and the Gospels, will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. So the first question, who is Jesus Notice that I am framing this question in the present tense, not the past tense. The question is not who was Jesus, but who is Jesus? Look, if we didn't think Jesus is still alive, there's no way we would be here sitting in this heat and humidity on Sunday morning. There, there's no way we're given of our, our, our time and talents and treasures to the Lord's work, worried about morality and, and ethics. But, but lest we get the big head about all we do, Jesus is going to have a word for believers directly, as my grandfather used to say. He'd say, oh, we'll go to the store directly. Sooner or later, it's going to get around to the, to the thing, and sooner or later, Jesus is going to get to those of us who follow him. But, but if you have not given consideration to the question, who is Jesus? If you've not thought about that before, or... If you've thought about Jesus, but you haven't made up your mind about him, it would be good to consider his claims. When Jesus asked the disciples who people thought that he was, they all answered, you're some sort of a religious figure. A lot of people haven't quite figured it out, 
but you're a, a, a religious figure. And when Jesus asked the disciples, though, who do you think that I am? That's really the important question for all of us. Who do you think Jesus is? They answered by saying, the Christ of God. The NIV puts it this way. It's the same exact meaning, but the NIV says that Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. Jewish men and women anticipated the Messiah, but they expected a political, a military figure who would deliver the nation from Roman rule. So Jesus' next words were confusing. In addition to saying, don't tell anyone, he said, you need to know that the Son of Man is going to suffer. It, it, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the very people who ought to welcome him and, and tell the world, <coughs> this is God's Messiah. By the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, he's going to be killed on the third day, and then he will be raised. I don't have time to go into detail, but when Jesus referenced himself as the Son of Man, some may have rightly assumed that he was referring to himself as the divine figure in Daniel chapter 7. That was a good guess if they, if they understood him to be saying that about himself. But the Jews expected the Messiah to execute judgment, not to be judged and executed. Why would Jesus die? The answer that the New Testament gives us is that Jesus died to save us from ourselves. A lot of, I mean, from uh, our sins. A lot of people say, oh, Jesus saves me from myself. Really, the more accurate description would be that for those who believe in Jesus, he saves us from himself. God is perfect, and we need to be saved from him. Let me explain that. God created a perfect world, as we're told, at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. The first man and woman, though, were tempted by Satan, and they fell away from God, even though they could have lived forever. They chose hardship and eventual death when they sinned. As they had been warned, it was going to be so it was. When Adam and Eve had children, they passed along that sinful nature to them. And they set in motion death and destruction for all of us in our natural state. We are all born with a sinful nature, which leaves us in big trouble with God. Eternal trouble. You remember what it was like when your parents said, you're in trouble. You also know what it was like when they said, you're in big trouble. I think the way my dad said it was, you've ripped it now, boy. You have ripped it now. That meant I was going to get ripped is what that meant. Um, so we are in big trouble with God in our natural state. Many of the leaders in Jesus' day thought that they could impress God by keeping the law. But James 2 10 tells us that the one who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of, of it all. Now, they should have known better. James, when he said that in James 2.10, is almost certainly referencing the truth of Leviticus 18.5. God can no more allow sinners to eternally dwell in his presence than you could knowingly allow a serial killer to live in your home. 
So what'd you do today? You might ask us. It's not, you can't do that. God cannot allow sin to dwell in his presence. But because of the Father's love for us, he sent his son Jesus to earth as one of us. Jesus lived a perfect life. How did he do that? Not only was he man, he was and is God. 100% God, 100% man. And since God requires a blood sacrifice for our sins, Jesus was the only eligible sacrifice because he never sinned. He died in our place as a substitute. And when we acknowledge before God that we are sinners, not only sinners as in, well, yeah, nobody's perfect, but the kind of sinners that he says we are. And when we repent of our sins or we turn from our sins to God, not that we get better. I kept thinking, oh, if I can just be good enough, then I can be a Christian. You'll never be good enough. It's not that. It's just that you turn from who you are To God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I also believe that Jesus died in my place. The Bible tells us that when we do that, we are saved. Now, some of you believe that without ever having that kind of conversation with God. You just grew up hearing the gospel all your life. And so you have known all this time that your faith is in Christ. But if you have never trusted him. That's exactly what you were called to do. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's not a private thing, folks. It is not a private thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never heard this before or if you've heard it but you never understood it before, because that's the way it is with a lot of us. We, I heard it all my life growing up, but it was not until I was 18 years old that I finally understood it. If you have not understood it before, it is no mistake that you were here today. The majority of the people who are here this morning believe everything that the Bible tells us about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved. We believe the Bible is God's word and it tells us who Jesus is, what we should believe about him. And the Holy Spirit has called us to believe. This is not, don't treat these like beach balls, you know, we're not doing that on Sunday morning. I'll just let them go and try not to be distracted. It was a good place for me to be distracted. If there, by Satan, if there is an urgency in your heart to believe that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is calling you to believe in Jesus. I'm going to give details about how to do that in just a few minutes. But for now, just cry out in your heart, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. The last two questions are are also important. So we'll spend a little time with them. The second question that our text addresses is, what are the consequences of belief or unbelief? Here in the South, the decision to follow Jesus has not been too costly in the past. But that is likely 
going to change. It's likely that public faith in Jesus will not only be met with ridicule, but with threats to your job and social standing. And that may already be the case for some of you. Eventually, your liberty and even your life may be threatened if you follow Jesus. In the best of times, it feels like believers are swimming upstream and we, we don't resemble salmon in any way. So swimming upstream is not easy. What is it going to be like in the worst of times? I don't know. I hope we don't find out, but we may find out sooner than we expect. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about the believer's position in and response to a world that opposes our beliefs with a religious fervor, even as believers are identified as the source of the problem. We cannot, I'll say this again, and I'll explain this in a few weeks, but let me go ahead and say this. We as believers cannot effectively respond to the culture or hope to have any significant influence in the culture by participating only by its rules. All we have is the gospel. All we have is Jesus. Jesus died for sinners and forgive those who repent of their sins with faith in Jesus. But the gospel goes against the nature of those who seek to earn their place in this world or earn their place in heaven. And so when we say in love that no one can earn her place in heaven, you may have discovered that it makes people mad. The consequence for unbelief, though, is eternal separation from God in hell. So says Jesus, and so says the rest of Scripture. We do not get to pick and choose what we think is acceptable and what is not. It is not easy to stand for truth. It is not easy to stand for Jesus. And do not confuse Jesus with either liberal or conservative political principles. Share the gospel and leave the results to the Lord. Even if those to whom you share mock and persecute you. Remember the words from our Lord in Luke 9, 24 to 26. So this is the third time we've heard these. Jeff said it, we read it a while ago, and we're hearing it again, maybe important words. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's quite a paradox, isn't it? But we know it's true. We know it's true that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we understand that when we give our lives to the Lord, He makes something incredibly beautiful for, <clears throat> from it. But if we hang on to our lives, we make a mess of it. Just really gifted at that. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For just a moment, think about that for you, not for somebody else. What is it gain? What, what, what profit is it to you if you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I was thinking about it on the way to church this morning as Allison and I were praying. I don't know why this just popped into my head and thought about it before. But look, we're very careful about how we present ourselves to the culture, but the angels, the holy angels, the Father, they're all right here. We don't see them, but they're right here. And we will give an account. Sobering words. We're going to focus on verse 23 to answer the last question. What is expected of those who would follow Jesus? Exactly what is expected of those who believe in Jesus? Nothing less than everything. All we are. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, do three things. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Boy, the one thing you just have to say about Jesus is, he didn't sugarcoat the message ever. Just laid it out there. It's really, I remember with the years when I was a camp director at, at TVR in the mountains, thinking about when I would go to these verses like this, thinking, wow, it just feels like sometimes it's, it's really hard stuff that I'm sharing. And then I thought, well, it's the words of Jesus. Words of Christ. He didn't sugarcoat anything. First, we are called to deny ourselves. Look, if you've ever been on a diet, you know how difficult it can be to deny yourself. To deny yourself in the context of discipleship is to give up control of your life. So here's a question. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. Any control freaks in the, in, in the yard? We can say it that way. Perhaps it would be better to ask, are there any in the crowd who are not control freaks? You may be the sweetest thing in the world, but we just all have a way of trying to control our lives and the way things go. Do you have to give up the freedom to live life as you desire to follow Jesus? Yes. Will you ever do this perfectly? No. So quit waiting till you clean your act up. We'll never do this perfectly. And, and <clears throat> when you do say, Lord, I just give it over to you. What you gain is so much greater than what you've given up. I used to think, I'm going to have to, I'd have to give up all my friends if, if, if I got saved because they're not walking in the ways that I know the Lord would expect me to walk. But I did not have to give them up. They gave me up. But it was okay because the group that I got was far, far superior to the ones that I gave up. Not as human beings, we're all valuable and worthy in the Lord, but I, I, I found faithful to the end kind of friends when I trusted Jesus. Some of you are probably thinking, well, you know, you need to make a distinction between making Jesus your Savior and making Him the Lord of your life. The first problem with that is about us making Jesus this or that. I used to believe that, but it came clear to me over, over time that Scripture makes no such distinction. 
I think we do that. We say that, well, I made Jesus Savior, but now I need to make him Lord of my life. I trusted him as Savior, but now Lord. Because we realize there's such inconsistency with who we're supposed to be and who, the, who Scripture calls us to be and who we are in reality. But remember, this is a lifelong process that we are being conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus. The fact that you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior at the same time is why, as has been covered thoroughly this summer, that the Christian life is one of continual repentance to say, Lord, forgive me, I know that was against <coughs> your commands and it's, it, it's an offense to your holiness. Please forgive me. And Jesus always readily holds out his arms for us when we repent. So who is in control of your life? You or Jesus? One of the ways that you can tell is to consider the second requirement for discipleship in verse 23. Not only are we called to deny ourselves, but we are called to take up our cross daily. Now, if you've never been inside our sanctuary over here, the first time you uh, go inside, you're going to notice a cross prominently displayed on the wall behind the pulpit. The, the cross has always, since the time of Christ, it's been a symbol of Christianity. Um, it's easy, though. Before Jesus was crucified, buried, raised again, and people began to understand the significance of all of that. And, and, and being so many centuries removed from the practice of crucifixion, it's easy to fail to understand the horror and shame associated with the cross. In polite circles during the first century, Jewish, Gentile, didn't matter. You just didn't mention crucifixion. If you walked in and said, hey, anybody see that mass crucifixion going on down the street? The room would go awkwardly quiet. And you would recognize that you had made a social faux pas of the highest order. To take up your cross daily means to be willing to bear the shame associated with Jesus and associated with his cross. When I was saved at 18 years of age in 1972, I was often asked, hey, I asked, hey, you're not a Jesus freak now, are you? Look, I was happy to talk about my relationship with Christ, but it wasn't always easy. I would witness, I was like, Ted McKinney is today. I would witness to that sound, all the sound pieces of instruments up here, everything. I would just witness all the time. Unfortunately, that has slacked off some through the years, although I still try to talk about Christ whenever I have opportunity. Um, but I, I was glad to talk about it, but it was not easy. Even so, the Lord has given me a heart that is happy to bear the shame associated with Jesus' cross most of the time. What am I, what I am not so willing to do, though, 
I'll, I'll, I'll say, yes, I stand for Jesus, even though if people mock me and, and ridicule me. What I'm not so willing to do, though, is to be humble and forgive those who oppose and abuse me and to speak truth to those who are quite willing to be unethical in this practice or that practice. To take up my cross is to be willing to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And that always involves dying to self. And once again, remember, the one who saves his life will lose it, and the one who gives up control of his life, for Jesus' sake, will save it. Even so, we know that. But even so, we usually look out for ourselves, because if we don't look out for ourselves, who else is going to? We justify our anger toward political opponents and, and competing news agencies by somehow conflating the gospel and politics. But the gospel calls us to love our enemies. We need distraction during COVID so entertainment becomes priority over spiritual disciplines. And I could go on, but the Holy Spirit will make you aware of what it is you need to nail to the cross or really, in reality, turn over to Him and let Him nail it to the cross. As you die to yourself, you will find the final requirement for discipleship to be more accessible. Follow Him. In Romans 6, which is going to be the text for the last sermon in this series on Labor Day weekend, the Apostle Paul said this in verses 7 and 8. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. It's all about our identity. In this day, as in most days, everyone is rushing to declare his allegiance to this group or that view or, or she's trying to hide her beliefs. But the Lord calls us to happily find our identity, our identity in Christ. Let our identity be in Jesus and in his cross as his followers. Galatians 6, 14 is a good place to settle. But be it far from me, the Apostle Paul said, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Amen. So, believer, has it been so long since the Father called you into the family through Jesus that you have forgotten what it means to die to self-control, to self-justification, to the sins of the flesh, to your own desires and dreams? On this day, lay the control of your life at the foot of Jesus' cross and then take up your cross, the cross assigned to you, and follow him. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, but you are ready to surrender your life to him, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray silently in your heart to the Lord. It would do you much good if you pray this prayer to tell someone afterwards, maybe the one 
who encouraged you to come. So if you would, please bow your heads in prayer. For those who don't know Jesus, pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I confess that I am a sinner and that I have lived my life apart from you. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus, your son Jesus. I don't understand it, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. Taking the punishment that I deserved so that I might live forever with you. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. Heavenly Father, thank you for making me your child. May the power of the Holy Spirit lead me to follow Jesus and make me more like him. And it is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.